0: Glorious and
1: things are encouraging, and uh, even Joab, of all people, is relying on God. And so, uh, you know, it's just uh, really a positive thing. And you would think that we're kind of set up for the glory years of David, aren't we? You know, he's just been trusting in God, and, and God's been blessing him, and, and uh, so forth. And so, uh, we come to chapter 11, perhaps not really expecting what we're going to see. I think we'll go ahead and read a little bit here, and, and uh, wow we come to chapter 11, and there's just so much to talk about, there's so much to think about. You know this chapter, and yet I think there's there's just no end, almost, to the things we can really meditate on. Certainly we need this for ourselves. So chapter 11, would somebody read the first five verses?
0: It happened in the spring of of the year, when the time of the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening when David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful, behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Oh, all awesome. things. Now we're going to talk in a moment about why David
1: did this. But I want you to look at what happened. David is victorious, but he's behind in Jerusalem. While the uh, army is destroying the sons of Ammon and now besieging Rabba the capital, by the way. I understand that uh, Rabbah in modern days is the capital of Jordan, Amman. Amman comes from the Ammonites. So uh, he's besieging Rabbah, but he's behind in the palace. One evening he sees this woman bathing, and, and you see the progression. Actually, things go rather quickly. You know, the verbs kind of rush through. He sees, he sends, he inquires, he sent messengers, he took, she came, he lay. And uh, there you have it. You know, this self-indulgent action, as often it is, doesn't take very long. You know, often we just plunge into sinful passions. It kind of reminds you of what Samuel had warned about with the kings. They would be takers. He sends and he takes. But he, he does so much more. You know, he sacrifices his useful, usefulness on the altar of his lust. Um, He initiates a chain of events that forever alters his life. He did not get up that morning intending to ruin himself and his family. (laughs) But what a difference a day can make. You know, you think about how poor choices, wrong choices can just destroy us. If he had turned aside when he glanced, if he had rebuked his eyes, rebuked his mind, if when he found out that she was the wife of one of his most highly decorated soldiers, Uriah the Hittite, one of the 30 at the end of chapter 23, if he would have said, wait a minute, I was not thinking the right thing, this is it, I am not going to pursue this. But David did not do that. It's uh, amazing the openness, the unrelenting openness that the Bible narrates stories even about its greatest heroes. I don't know other books that would be so frank about a David as what the Bible is. And so he has her brought. We hear of no conversation between them. We know nothing of affection, of caring, of love. You know, David, in this narrative at least, doesn't speak to her by name, doesn't show that he's concerned for her. Just one night, and everything's okay. And she goes back home, and everything's fine, and nothing really happened. But that one night would have repercussions that basically destroys the rest of David's life and David's reign. We have to see the devastating consequences of sin. When God tells us what to do and what not to do, he does it because he loves us. Now that's just kind of opening up the the idea of the story. You know, I'd like for us to to though really start by giving some thought to what, what happened. You know, how do you take a David and have these things happen? I mean, that's really relevant to us. I mean... You know, you look at the Psalms particularly, but you look at some of the things we've seen in David already, even back in 1 Samuel with his restraint with Saul and and a lot of really good things he did. You know, I'd like, I'd very much like, to have the degree of love for God and trust in God and devotion that David had. I'd like to be able to worship with as much zeal as David worshipped. I mean, I look at David and I see things that I wish I had in myself and so it's rather frightening to think of David doing this. What happened? Tim.
2: Well, I think it's interesting. Uh, one of the things I, was, I learned like earlier this year was uh, this, this, these exact words are used not only in uh, the Garden of Eden when it talks about Eve seeing the fruit that it was good and that she took it. It's also describing uh, Lot, when he saw the land, It was well watered, it was good, so he took it. And the same
1: thing with David. David saw Bathsheba, she saw that she was beautiful, so he took her. Excellent point. When we begin to see and take, without God's permission, we've made a mistake. You know, you can make the point from Genesis chapter 1. Who was seeing that things were good in Genesis 1? God. He is the only one that has the ability to properly evaluate what he sees. It's not up to us to see and decide what's good or not. And when we start doing that we transgress as Eve did, as the sons of God did in Genesis 6 with the daughters of man, as Lot did, as Shechem did in Genesis 34, as David does here, and so forth. Good point. Brandon? Was David
3: supposed to be out in battle during this time?
1: Well, I don't know if he was supposed to be, but it does seem to me like not having anything to do is bad for us. You know, it sort of gives us an opportunity. If he had been in battle or been doing anything else productive, perhaps he wouldn't have been up wandering on his roof looking for women. Or maybe at least he would have had something to do that would have gotten him off his roof before he had the chance to gaze at her. Logan. Most of
3: us are pretty familiar with our houses. I really wonder if David had an idea that he might have seen, might see something that he shouldn't when he was up on the roof He'd been living there for a while, and he probably knew that could have been a danger to him, and yet he still was there knowing that, that
1: might have been dangerous. How many times when you have accidentally stumbled on something that caught your eye, was the truth you were hoping that by being where you were and looking where you were, there would be something you would stumble on that would catch your eye. We are so dishonest with ourselves sometimes. You know, one of the questions I most often ask the guys who talk to me about, well, you know, it just happened. It's like, just happened, really? You know, why were you surfing Facebook, looking at the photos on these girls' pages if you weren't trying to see something? or whatever it is, you know? So that may be, if David's anything like guys are today, I mean, he may have known which house contained the girl that might bathe once in a while. I don't know, but it would be a lot like us (laughs) if he did. Good point. What else led to this, do you think? I think it'll help us to think along that line.
3: He, slept with, he was deceiving himself, and that um, he was so close with God that you know we think we can withstand a lot of temptations, and then you find one you can't withstand, and then maybe because the quickness of it that God wouldn't see it, just like how oh I just told that little lie, God you know it's just something really. Simple.
1: Why are we so quick to sin sometimes? Do you think?
4: Tell us it's
1: wrong exactly isn't that exactly what it is you know if I'm going to do this wrong thing I got to get it done before my conscience bothers me so much I can't so you just sort of plunge forward and you block out your conscience as much as you can so you can get to the fun you want before you just can't stand yourself anymore isn't that what we do I mean sometimes if we just stop prayed for five minutes honestly. We couldn't do it. Jason?
5: Yeah, but it seems from verse 3 he had the time. You know, he had the time to actually send and in, in to inquire about her. And then he was actually told hey this is Uriah's wife.
1: Good point. I mean he hadn't he, it wasn't that very moment however he seemed to have acted rather promptly in connection with all of it. Yeah Andy? You know, in general
4: he wasn't at a low point in his life. You know, he had just destroyed the Ammonites. You know, he was he was on top of the world. You know, he didn't have a care of the world at
1: that point. We are more vulnerable when we are successful than when things are going badly. I think that's exactly right. An environment of constant victory almost tends to create moral weakness. Almost makes us think that, well, anything we want's okay. You know, Satan's most effective when we're comfortable and successful. I, I think that's very true. And uh, we need to think about that. You know, how are things going for us? When they're going really well, we're probably more vulnerable. Kimberly?
3: This just goes to show that like, even strong Christians have a good idea Amen. It does. Terry? You no, know, We can't
1: take a day off we want to fight for the Lord. If we if we do take a day off, and we think,
6: well, that someone else do a bad
1: thing, to You're exactly right, Chad. What?
0: Andy talked about all his victories. He wasn't finding contentment in that there was a lack of contentment in his life and he kept seeking to fill it in some way and he thought that this would help. and But it just created more discontent.
1: Perhaps mm-hmm. victories will never give us contentment only really being satisfied in the Lord will. And he seems like he wasn't at this point. Good point, Seth.
5: Reminds me of David's own words at the beginning of this book. How has how the mighty, how how mighty fallen? That's a good
1: point. Yeah. Logan?
5: Maybe his polygamous lifestyle set him up for this sort of need.
1: Yeah, you know, you wonder about that. I mean, he's sort of given him the habit of indulging his sensual desires. And it's one of those things God had given him so many or he'd received so many, and yet it never satisfies you. I mean, could you ever have enough? You know, because sensual things never do satisfy us. They won't fill us up. But we always think they will. Jason?
5: And I think you also see here that David wasn't alone in the sin. He actually dragged other people into it
1: with him. Bathsheba, at least. Yeah, good point, Jason. Well, what about Bathsheba's culpability here of being on top of a roof,
3: <coughs> doing what she was doing? You would, you would seem to think she knew where she was at and that others could...
1: Yeah, it's a possibility. We know so little about her, but again, by analogy of today, there are certainly times when these innocent uh, victims are not so innocent. I mean, you know, depending on what you wear and how you carry yourself and what you talk about and sort of thing, you can be a real stumbling block. And maybe sometimes that's what we intended to be. Yeah.
3: I'm sorry. In my particular
4: it doesn't seem to insinuate that Sheba herself was on the roof but that David
1: right. see her from the roof I agree with that she was somewhere where David could see her from the roof I don't know uh, where she was so yeah good point I agree with that what else about the causes of this things jump out at you uh, you know he wasn't grateful for what the Lord had uh, given him already it appears that he wasn't watching and praying And think about this. Think about the progressive nature of sin. I've known this quote for a long time. Sinful man first plays with the idea, then stops to investigate, then stays to enjoy. Isn't that the way sin creeps up on us? And after all, it's only one night. You know, we often will succumb to that one. But one night can be our undoing. And more than that, it's against God's will. You know, and then there's the fateful words she sends to tell David, I am pregnant. Those are the only words we hear from Bathsheba in this whole story. You know, there are obviously anatomically times when David could have had Bathsheba for a night and she wouldn't have got pregnant. And we understand that ultimately the Lord is in control of those things. Of all things, he had to take her the night that she that the child was conceived in her. You wonder what a, what rotten luck, you know. You might think. I mean, and that happens in our day and time. You know, we we thought it wasn't the right moment, and yet it was. You know, you've heard of those things. You've thought about those things. But I wonder how much the Lord had His hand in that. I wonder if God didn't cause her conception to try to wake David up. They didn't respond very well in verse 4. After he lay with her, when she had purified herself from from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. It's like they're not dealing with this. They didn't humble themselves and confess. They didn't repent. They didn't turn back to God. Sometimes if we escape with no consequences, it's like it really didn't happen to us. And sometimes the Lord has to, uh, you know, give us a, you know, tap on the noggin to wake us up and to say, wait a minute. And this should have been that. You know, this should have really awakened David. It does not seem to. It just set him up for emergency cover-up measures. Uh, but but think about, it. I am pregnant. What a simple message. No demands, no threats, no anything. But Wow. What a blow to everything David was trying to do. Thoughts and comments on these first five verses? David.
0: Get the contrast between what David does here and with Joseph when he's pursued
5: by Potiphar's wife. Joseph said, I can't sin against God. And here David doesn't realize he's sinning against God.
1: One flees and the other chases. Yeah, it's a good point. Good contrast. Yeah. All right, well, let's look at a little bit more of this, uh, some of the uh, cover-up efforts. Um, 6 through 11.
2: So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hitzite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When eye came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open, open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing.
1: Now, you understand that this is step one of cover-up. Why is David trying to cover this up?
5: Possibly fear for his life.
1: Maybe fear for his life. He's the king, though.
5: His
1: reputation. His reputation, Megan? Well,
5: like, if they go down and find out, like, that the baby wasn't Uriah's. I mean, Uriah
1: would be there in that. Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> right?
5: Yeah,
2: it seems to me like um, David may be a little jittery the whole time because when Nathan later says, you are the man that did this, he's repentant. because I, I think he knows the whole time that he's been wrong.
1: It's an embarrassment. This is a shameful thing. Have you never been embarrassed by something you did wrong? And and what's your initial reaction? I hope nobody finds out. You know, and and, and isn't it easy to start immediately initiating schemes to try to, you know, misdirect everybody else so that nobody finds out?
4: I also wonder if in some way he didn't care about what would happen to Bathsheba for this. Because ultimately, I mean, he is, he probably have the power to cover this up, you know, cover his tracks, and it really wouldn't have a huge consequence for him. Whereas that she would probably be facing a lot more dire consequences. Maybe.
1: She can squeal on him.
4: But who would really necessarily believe her?
1: Maybe. Yeah, that's true. It may be, but I think, you know, sometimes it doesn't even matter how unlikely it is is will be detected. We become paranoid about that. Certainly David is. Josh? Have
5: you seen any of this, David,
3: getting wrapped up in a politics game? but
6: his 30 mighty
3: men,
1: if he betrays them, do you see some sense in which he could fear that? That could be. I mean, wow, this would be a disgrace. I mean, if if people do realize what he's done, this is outrageous. Takes one of his best soldiers' wives while he's out there in the battle fighting for him. I mean, that is pretty low. You know, I suspect we'd even struggle with that if a politician did that. We allow a lot of things. But I think this is a pretty uh, pretty bad thing. Do you see what David does here? Probably the opposite of what we would have tried to do. Send me Uriah the Hittite, he sends Joab. He's a brave man. You know, The last man, the last person I'd want to be in Jerusalem at this moment would be Uriah. He hasn't called back. <laughs> but he's got this scheme. You know, he's got this idea. And uh, his idea is you know, he's going to send him down to Bathsheba, and uh, then, you know, everybody will think the child is Uriah's. You know, everything will be fine. You know, it won't be any big deal. And, uh, wow. Well, what happened that messed up this plan? He, he won't go down to his house. Why won't he? He's loyal.
6: With respect to the king.
1: Yes, and, and to his fellow soldiers who are on the battlefront, they aren't going to be able to uh, spend the night with their wife. He won't. What's the pretense on which David is sent for Uriah to come back? How are things going? Yes, he's delivering the uh, report of the battle. He's, he's, he's uh, getting debriefed from a man in the field. And, and that David keeps up that, that act. You know, he uh, asks in verse 7 concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. It's interesting, we don't know what Uriah answered. I bet you anything David didn't know what Uriah answered. <laughs> it didn't matter to him at all. You know, he's just trying to give an impression here. He's not really caring what's going on with the battles. But isn't that, how, how many times have you done that? You know, you're trying to cover something up, So you have to make it look good. So you have to, you know, try to insinuate that this is, and so that means you have to do that. that You have to say that. It gets to be really complicated. And and someone has written, and I think this is a good uh, statement. Sin is like quicksand. The more energetic our effort to extricate ourselves, the deeper the involvement. You know, the more he tries to cover it up, the more desperate he gets, the deeper he goes. And uh, so this is really kind of a shame. Here's the Hittite, more faithful than David. Here's a soldier more faithful than the king. You know, he's got a greater sense of duty, self-restraint. You know, he won't do legitimately what David the king did criminally. And then look at verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today also and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And now David called him and he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants. But he did not go down to his house. Uriah, drunk, is more righteous than David, sober. Isn't that amazing? And isn't that a rebuke? This has got to be stinging David in his conscience, though he will not let himself feel it. You know, he's doing everything he can to numb his conscience. But Uriah says what he said. That has got to bother David deep down. It is a rebuke to everything David did. Comments. Right.
2: I really love Uriah's innocence here, because I'm sure he knows nothing of what David had done, and is probably crediting David for you know wondering about how the battle's going, how Joab is, how is he. Um, and his innocence just saying, you know, I am humility, I'm not going to do this when no one else can. Uh, and that is ultimately, his innocence is what overcomes, or sets in motion, uh, overcoming the sin. Yeah, and, and like Paul said, you overcome evil with good. Amen. Michael. Uh, like I like the two things he brings out. You know, he has respect for the soldiers. Well, David didn't have respect, and that's why he stayed at home and even didn't have the situation. He has respect for the Lord. And David obviously did it because he sins against the Lord. Like the, very, the two things he brings out are the two things David like must seem to be struggling with the right then.
1: Good point. Yeah, good thoughts. Kimberly, um, sin leads
4: like to more sin if you're trying to like cover it up, and that's what he's dealing with right now because he's trying to cover it up, so he's like make committing more sins. You know, bad.
1: Yeah, it gets worse and worse,
0: yeah um, what a shame when people who are not God's people act more moral uh, than, uh, than God's people individually. Here hear you're a Hittite, wasn't even a Jew. That's a shame. It really is. Terry. The uh, whole story that's never of God in the
1: chapter You know, when we go into that cover-up mode, we're not thinking about God. And how many sinful periods do we have where we don't really pray? We might say a prayer or two, but we don't pray. We don't read the Bible. We don't really let ourselves think very deeply. We just keep busy. We keep noise on so we don't have to really face ourselves. Now, you know, we get to the point where we won't even admit that. But the truth is, we know it deep down That's what we're doing. I mean, David is such a classic example. Because he looks like me. (coughs) Other thoughts,
5: Seth. Um, We know that David was struggling, and there's he just felt terrible. But already, because of what we see in Psalm thirty-two, how he was groaning within himself, how he was in torment, how how, and uh, when he just completely covered everything up in Psalm thirty-two. Verse 3, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with fever and heat of summer. Um, we, we see this is taking its toll on David, though he's trying to give the facade, the, the appearance that nothing is wrong. And that's when, when we try to hide our, side, our sin from God and, and even other people around us and we don't confess our sins to one another, uh, it makes everything
1: worse. Excellent point. That's a great passage. Psalm 32 is so helpful. And, you know, I'm okay. Everything's fine. I feel great. You know, and all the while he's dying on the inside. Yeah, Jason. It's just
5: very ironic that David's trying to make make sure no, no person ever hears about this, but... Look who all
1: knows now. Yeah, it didn't work very well, did it? All of history. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Another thing I noticed in my notes, look at verse 11, the middle part. Uriah speaking to David, shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? Ouch. (laughs) You know, some of those things you just think, God, how could God have orchestrated this better to really print David's conscience? So many things God is doing to try to bring David to his senses, and he refuses. Yes.
3: And also he mentions that the ark is his willphone. Yes. And he's not even there too.
1: Yeah. He's concerned about God even though you wouldn't think he would be. Right. Ryan. And
2: you know, some people compare you know David to other people in the Bible and say, David is this great person, but at this moment I think it's appropriate to compare David to the Pharisees who Jesus said were whitewashed tombs—you know, beautiful
3: on the outside covering
2: up their sin but then wicked and rotting. And so.
1: Good comment.
2: Eric. The fact that
3: the Bible, can, that God still considers him a man after God's own heart and there are so many similarities that I have with, you know, to the sins that the way that he's thinking about everything
1: It's just amazing that God can still consider somebody like that, someone who's after his own heart. Yeah, I don't know if, I hear us say that all the time. I'm not sure if that's the best way to uh, speak of that. David clearly was a man that was after God's own heart, that God chose. I mean, Acts 13 uses that in 22. After he'd removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. But I don't know that we ought to call David a man after God's own heart at this moment. No, I agree. So, he had been. I'm not so sure he still is.
3: But then even in second, First, and Second Kings, David is always the example of the king that did what was right.
1: Yes, good point. Sometimes saying, except for the incident. Yeah. But yes, he certainly showed that in his return. His repentance yeah. and return were godly and were exemplary. Yeah, so good points.
0: Every time, I, uh, every time I read the account of David and Bathsheba, I think of Proverbs 7 in uh, verse 22 when it says immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, uh, costing him his life. David's
1: a great example, almost a portrait of Proverbs 7 in some of those chapters. Good point, well remembered. Okay.
3: Uh, in connection to what we were saying about David being a man after God's own heart, you know, I, I'd always kind of connected that with uh, forgiveness and how, you know, even after sinning, you know, David is still able to show that side of him again. But I think it's also important to to not be to use this to not become complacent because David was a man after God's own heart when he was chosen, and yet at this point he's oh acting God. as a wicked man, even at least murder. And I can't think just because I've been good or
1: been strong in
3: the past, that that's still going to be the case. Excellent point. And we can't
1: rest on our past. We can't see ourselves, I won't be tempted, I'm not vulnerable, I'm exempt. You know, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. I mean, this is a very powerful, you know, searching demonstration of that. And if that doesn't touch every one of us, I don't care how strong we think we are, I thought David was strong.
4: personally, I'm the type of person who, when I sin, I kind of, you know, magnify it. I'm like, oh, I've done this horrible, horrible thing. How could God ever forgive me for this kind of thing? But then I take hope from stories like this, where, you know, I mean, David, he had done, you know, something that even in this day and age, we would consider to be horrible. I mean, genuinely horrible. And yet God still was able to forgive him and David was able to uh, get repentance and move on. And I mean I find great
1: strength in that. Amen. Personally. Very good point. Tyler?
0: I think also maybe uh, even though we see how far he gets away from God at this point, we see we're gonna see very quickly the great opportunity he has to return as well. I don't know if that should give us hope. Amen.
1: Yeah. Patrick. No. Beto?
6: Yeah, many people know uh, David, like not not Christians, but like outside people know David because of David and Goliath. But then the second thing that they know David for is David and Bathsheba. And it's interesting that that makes an impact on them more than David and Goliath. So when we see that, we we, we need to realize that as light of the world, we really need to watch what we do. Because we don't know the great impact we might have on other people. Just like David did. I mean, he would have never foreseen that all the things that he's doing are going to impact people to go away from God at this point. And we might not see it in the future. But we need to realize that the way we behave is is very important, not just for us, but for other people, in, in order to glorify God.
1: Amen. Andy,
4: um, I was kind of struck by the, all the different opportunities that David actually had to fess up, to to come to terms with his sin. Um, God, when we're in sin, God presents us with many opportunities to to you know it seems like time and time again to own up to our sins and to confess and to make right of
1: our sins. I agree, and sometimes God starts with small things, less consequences. <laughs> if we're more sensitive, we'll correct ourselves then and there'll be fewer consequences. Eventually, he throws the book at David. It's all David would, would listen to, but a very good point. Clint. I think
5: it's Proverbs 7. I know already, but I just want to fill this out a little bit more. But in Proverbs 7, it talks about uh, that seductive woman and many strong men are slain by her. And there's three particularly strong individuals in the Bible that I can think of that all have something in common. Think about the strongest man in the Bible, Samson, the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, besides Jesus, and then the greatest king in the Bible, David. And they all struggle with the same thing, their, their lust for women.
1: Very sobering realities, good lessons for us. So look at what he does from here. It gets worse, as we know. Um, 14 to 21.
3: Now in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter, saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. He charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises, then he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Zebez? Why did you go so near to the wall? Then you shall say,
1: Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Wow. Who would have thought this? Here is the man. Who one time felt guilty for cutting off a piece of Saul's robe when Saul was chasing him everywhere trying to kill him? Here's David sending a letter by Joab for him to be killed. Now, there's just so many things in this. Think about the insanity of sending this letter. In, Joab, in, in Uriah's own hand. Uriah is the postman delivering his own death sentence to Joab. How does he know that Uriah won't open the letter and read it? Because he knows what kind of character Uriah has. He's demonstrated it. Has the kind of character David doesn't have. I think that's exactly it. You know that, that he knows he can trust Uriah. Uriah is a trustworthy man. And, uh, you know, it's just what a fool we become in a moment of weakness. He says, Place your eye. He writes this to Joab Place your eye in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. That was written with the same pen that wrote the Psalms. Can you imagine that? Think about how we contradict ourselves in our life and character. It's just. You know, you see some of those things, and it's like, how in the world did he actually do that? But all he can think about is cover up. You know, he's got the suggestions to how Uriah can can be conveniently disposed of so that the pregnancy can be assigned to him without protest. right? I
2: think it's really eye-opening and good for us to think about about how David is a cruel and desperate to Uriah, but he's also a coward because instead of sending the message by word, he sends it through
1: a letter. He's not even, he's not even man enough to face that. Yeah, of course, he sure isn't going to uh, tell Uriah what the message is. <laughs> the letter kind of conceals it from him, but yeah, he might have had a harder time telling Joab directly. Ethan?
0: Uriah is one
5: of David's top soldiers man just shows how much sin destroys your relationship with the ones you're close to and the ones that respect you the most. And the one
1: he needs. I mean, you want your top soldiers to fight against your enemies, but he's expendable to fuel this, uh, you know, very paranoid cover-up effort.
5: Gary? John? The, the question that comes to my mind is, who's he sending a letter to? He sends it to Joab. So he must know the character and all that of Joab as compared to Uriah also.
1: And have you thought about how Joab is going to see this? You know, what's he going to think? Now they have something in common. You know, Joab's uh, had a few uh, people on his hit list that he's disposed of. Now how is David ever going to be able to object to Joab's violence Now that he's made him an accomplice You know I wonder if Joab doesn't think I knew David was a lot like me after all You know all that pious veneer and Micah
5: and, and David has Sunk to the status of Saul Who Saul sent David out To battle thinking that he would be able To kill him off that way and So we see how bad his Decisions have affected him
1: Yeah absolutely yeah good point point. And now he's in Joab's power you know, uh, wow, you, you, you have an accomplished relationship like this, Joab can blackmail him now. Joab, he probably kept that letter on file, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and Joab realizes the plan's a little too obvious, so what he actually does involves the sacrifice of a few more soldiers. When he sends the message, he says, if David gets upset, just tell him, your eyes did. I don't know if there's any chance Joab understood the whole situation but Joab understands for some reason David needs to dispose of Uriah and that's really all that matters who cares how many other people have to be sacrificed in the process comments Kimberly sin doesn't just destroy your relationship with people but it destroys the most relationship you have and that's with God amen and it does here Wow. Tyler? I think
2: it's kind of amazing how he continues to trust Joab. Joab
0: came back in chapter 3 under not the best of circumstances even, then, there's been some odd things that happened to him since then, so it's kind of amazing that he's let that relationship persist and grow, even in
6: the midst of everything that's happening.
1: It is, but at the moment, that's a handy thing. Who better to have a hitman than Joab? I mean, he's clearly shown himself to be of a character who will do this kind of thing. Yes?
4: It's probably obvious, Uriah was at the
1: wall, or wherever he was when he
0: got killed. Think of all these other men that died as well. So David not only killed Uriah, he killed all these other men because they abandoned them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Other thoughts? Death. I think it's interesting that David uh, wouldn't wake up in the morning to uh, do his business in the beginning of the chapter, but he'll wake up early in the morning to write this letter to Joab. (laughs) <laughs> Good point, Patrick.
6: You know, it's just so sad to see that the most honorable person in the story was a person
0: who was murdered as a result of all all these other people's failings. Sin is such a devastating consequence.
1: Yes, Kimberly. This um,
3: makes me think of First Peter five <clears> eight. <throat> Chapter 5,
1: verse 8, like, we really need to be sober in spirit every day because is like a lion. You know, he's waiting for the right time to happen. Amen. Great point. Well, let's see about the report. Penny.
4: You know, you think about what went, what, the things that went through David's mind when he was trying all these different tactics to clear up what he was doing. And I'm sure at some point, I mean, he knew what the right thing was to do. But the, the consequences that he would have to suffer on this earth were just too much for him to bear and so he was more worried about what he would suffer on this in this life than than what he would you know suffer at the hands of God and so anytime we are more worried about earthly consequences than heavenly consequences we will never make choice.
1: excellent point yeah that's exactly right Matt
6: to me, it looks like he tunneled vision in this. You know, he said he's not consciously trying to think that he's sinned, but in a way, he's trying to get rid of the one person. He's so focused on that that he doesn't have to worry about anything else. And in the next chapter, when Nathan comes in, he's so, he doesn't know it's anybody else. He's just like, who is that guy? Who is it? I don't know. It just seems that he, uh, he's got blinders on.
1: Him. It's exactly what we do when we fall into sin. We get that all we can think about is our mission because we sure don't want to let our conscience take over. That's exactly right. How many t- how, are you at this moment blinding yourself? Have you got that tunnel vision where there are things that you know you need to repent of, you know you need to confess, you know you're not right, but you've continued to to close your eyes, you, don't, you won't look at him, you won't see him, you'll deny it, but deep down in your heart, you know it's true. I mean, I think we all get into that situation. I certainly have been there. And uh, we need to make ourselves wake up. We need to listen to our conscience and focus on the Lord. You know, when, when you get in those modes where you're trying to keep busy, and keep everything going on, and you just don't have any time to pray, you don't have any time to read the Bible, you don't let yourself meditate on the Lord, because you just go. I just can't do that, you guys do this, you, guys. you know, what's going on? What's really happening in our heart? Is there are really things to think about. Logan? I
3: think it's sad. Joel had just reached one of his highest spiritual moments, and right after that, he, David showed that he wasn't that spiritual-minded anymore.
5: So that
1: probably really discouraged Joab. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you wish you could have built on, you know, Joab's reliance on God in chapter 10 instead of tearing it down with this message in chapter 11. Good point. Yeah. Look at the report. In verse uh, 22, So the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had sent to him to tell. Let's well, how the messenger says it in verse 23. The men prevailed against us and came out against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall, so some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah is also dead. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger, and overthrow it, and so encourage him." Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. What does the messenger do here? He doesn't
5: do it the
1: way Joab said to you. No. How does he do it differently?
5: Well, he kind of throws drops the name Uriah out there right at the beginning instead of telling all the bad news
1: first. Yeah, he, he doesn't wait for David to question why their tactics. He makes sure he tells him right up front, and Uriah's dead. I think the message got gotten the point. David will be okay if he knows that. Now that's the one name in this report that really interests him. Ah, and how does David respond? Heartless thing. Some <laughs> dealer, <so. laughs> Ew, yeah, you know, a guy knows when he joins the army that his life will be in danger. You know, it's a pity about Uriah, but it can't be helped. That, that Those things happen. Don't worry about it. You know, you'll win the next one. You know, he poses as, you know, Joab's understanding superior. But we know that what's behind that mask. He's so callous. Ah, he orders his murder... You know, he sends the order by Uriah, he's insensitive to the deaths of his soldiers, and he marries Bathsheba as soon as possible. You know, now the pregnancy can be reassigned. Just, ah, the callousness and the coldness, just things that are shocking. You look at that and you think, no way! You know, but you've got to keep the act up. You've got to keep making it look good. When we are thinking about what people are going to think about us, instead of thinking about honesty and truth, we just do all these things and and, man, we do it without thinking about it. It becomes second nature. Our cover up is so much a part of our character that we are always saying and doing things to fit the mask, to fit the act. Everything has to, and we'll lie about things that don't even matter, just so it makes it look good. I just think it's so outrageous. David's, well, you know, that happens. You know, I understand, it's okay. Well, it's okay, right? He ordered it. Um, I'm certainly not familiar with all of the traditions uh, at that particular point in time, but do
4: we know how long the mourning period was supposed to be?
1: I don't know that. Does somebody know how long the mourning would have been, Brian? My Bible notes is
5: seven days it notes, Genesis fifteen
2: verse ten and First Samuel thirty one thirteen. I don't know what
1: those say, but okay. Yeah, it may have been times where they mourned for seven days. I don't. Does anybody else know anything more definitive than
5: It's interesting to note, though, that uh, she's the only one that's mourning. He who has mourned the death of Saul and Jonathan and Abner and Ishbosheth doesn't mourn this one.
1: Yeah. And notice they don't even call her Bathsheba in the text. In verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard, ah, wow. That's the way God sees it. Yeah, Kimberly. God sees it. Amen. You know, think about this. Most kings wouldn't have tried to conceal it, perhaps. You know, it shows you there's some concept of righteousness. And so he, he has to cover this up. I mean, and, and one sinful act and the desire to conceal it just leads to the next, leads to the next. One fails. There, you've got to try more desperate measures. And, and, and sin draws you in. You know, you go one step. Well, once you're there, one more step. Well, once you're there, one more step. If you had to make the leap in one move, you wouldn't do it. But the devil knows exactly what he needs to get you to do. Only just one misstep. And then the guilt of that and the desire to cover it up. One more. One more. One more. The devil's really smart about how he does that. He's very strategic in that. Thoughts and comments. Seth. It
5: reminds me of Paul's inward struggle that he describes in Romans 7 when he does the very thing that he hates. And we see that this is something that David truly hates because we know from when uh, the prophet comes to tell him about it, how angry he gets at this very description of everything that David does. And then, uh, I mean, we see the inward struggle that we all have. Um, It's very similar to what David's going through and what Paul goes through in Romans chapter 7. Very good point.
4: And it shows his lack of trust and faith in God. You know, going back to what I said about how I'm sure when he thought about the consequences he would suffer, if he just fessed up to everything. He, it was just too much for him to bear. There was just no way that he could, you know, live with that. But if we have our trust and our faith in God, and we put Him first, he would have been okay. Things would have, you know, may have not been the same for him. And he may have lost a lot, but if our focus is on God and on his ways, then we will be okay.
0: Amen. That's
1: exactly right. Then
0: Maybe the perception of the people, you know, how charitable for David to bring the, the, the life of his fallen soldier to take care of her, <laughs> to, 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 to provide for her. How, how tender, how caring. Yeah, wow. That's a good point. Logan.
5: Um, I have
3: this book that's uh, like a dictionary and stuff. It says
1: that the mourning period was 10 to 40 days.
6: Yeah. Okay. Beto. Uh, it's interesting. I find it interesting that God's uh, name is not mentioned until the end of the chapter. Just when David thinks, I got away with it, <laughs> man, <laughs> here comes God, and says, No, you didn't. Um, so. Yeah, you know, like like you said, we think we cover up, but then God comes and says, No, it, it's it's going to have its punishment, itself.
1: the Lord's prophets always seem to show up at the most inconvenient moments. <laughs> 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 Other thoughts? Okay. Kimberly. Uh, this is
4: really scary to think of because we could fall so <coughs> easily. Yes. David. And it's we really need to like sober up every single day. Right?
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we are definitely vulnerable. If David was, so are we. And, uh, you know, there's no way to deal with this without humbling himself and repenting and confessing. You know, cover-up will not change the guilt. And, you know, you think about what is God doing? You know, God sends the message, I'm pregnant. That doesn't shape David. You know, he sends the message, well, I can't go down to my wife when the army's out there in battle. That doesn't stop him. He sends the message, and Uriah, Uriah, your servant, is dead also. Do you see how much the Lord is trying to shake David? How many warnings, how many words... Uh, to startle and to to cause David to reflect, there are God continues to escalate things and try to wake David up and try to wake David up and try to wake David up. What will it take for the Lord to do that? Look back at Psalm 32 one second. I've always uh, really appreciated a statement here in this psalm. It's such a great psalm in so many ways. Uh, Seth read from it earlier. But in uh, verse 8, I believe God is speaking, Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understandings, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near to you. The idea of counseling you with my eye upon you, to me, is the idea of responding to the to the look. You know, that that, you know, a sensitive person, just the look and the person will ooh, should do that uh, but some people are stubborn and hard-headed and a look doesn't catch it and eventually it may take a bitten bridle you know I mean the fool according to proverbs you just got to beat him he's not gonna listen to anything else words are not going to work and, and to me David was was looking at David oh God was looking at David and he was looking at David he was looking at David and David <laughs> I'm not, I'm not. and well he finally has to send Nathan and lower the boom on him I mean he gives him tragic devastating consequences because nothing else worked alright other comments or thoughts Seth.
5: sometimes uh, in Psalm 32 verse 8 we know that God's eye is on us but we're waiting for him to blink so that in that split second we can see <laughs> but it doesn't happen
1: yeah or that we can escape from our sins without having to humble ourselves and repent and confess. Yeah, All right, very good. Good thoughts. Uh, good to be able to discuss these things.